What's up, Zambia? This is Robin Piri from soundcomposed.com. Hosted by British Council Southern African Arts, this series takes you behind the scenes on Zoom sessions. Zambian sound pros meet David Asselmane of DM Sound Design UK. Now, when he talks about deliverables, uh, this is the key point. Um, no matter who you're working with, um, if you're working on a collaborative project, especially like with film, which is hugely collaborative, um, when it comes to the section that you're in and you're all in the sound section, this is not a soundtrack where you guys can mix your songs and uh, somebody's just slotting them in where they go. Um, how the score is dealt with is very different from how you will deal with the sound design or the soundtrack. So there's actually other engineers that even get involved in it, uh, especially on the larger projects. So <laughs> that's uh, an, another thing, I guess, uh, when David's trying to say there's a, there's a lot more to uh the the industry when it comes to sound than just um music uh mixing and even then uh you mix music differently according to what you're going to use it for so when you're looking at the deliverable it means you're just going to look at what is it the person on the other end of this is going to need so even when i'm working before i start i'll have asked the person who i know is going to receive what i'm doing how they would like to receive the files and what platform they happen to be on. Because I can switch between platforms to work, but at some point or another, I must put it into the format of the person who's gonna deal with it next. So um, that's the end of it, I think David is, is, is trying mm. to emphasize, as in when, when he receives a file um, uh, with a score, I can literally say, how would you like it done? Would you like me to split it by frequency or would you like me to split, split it by instrument? So by, by that, I mean, uh, with some of the stuff that you might be doing, depending upon the kind of film, uh, you might say, okay, let's, uh, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on in this. So let's separate um, uh, anything that's going on in the bass area from uh, what's going to happen with your strings and your floaty high sounds or whatever, or if there's guitars or things in there, you can literally divide them by frequency. And it also makes it easier for the editors who are coming afterwards uh, to decide whether or not they're going to use any particular bit. They might decide, actually, here, let's drop this heavy thing, rather than you've mixed it all together and they've got no choice but to run with whatever you sent them, like a stereo file. So there's a lot of flexibility that might be required by the next person you give it to. And with film, you have directors um, sitting on top of everything anyway. The um, producer or the director will be there kind of uh, seeing it for the first time with all the music and the, you know, the, 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 the sound design going on and the Foley and everything. And they may make decisions to do with the score and you want to make it uh, as flexible as possible for them to be able to say, uh, let's use a little bit more of this here or a little less of that there. So those are um, 
some of the reasons why, even when it comes to mixing, which is, I think, one of the points that was being made earlier, uh, the importance of being able to mix well is it, it cannot be overemphasized because if you're going to do a rotten mix for the next person in the process, uh, you make it very difficult for them. You wind up just giving them stem files and say, you mix it because uh, <laughs> you can't do the job. <laughs> so um, a lot of trust comes into it and a lot of um, collaborative um, uh, um, elements come into it. So when it comes to the frequencies and things that um, David is referring to, uh, I would say as a musician first, that uh, anyone who's a musician knows the frequency of their instruments. Um, and if you're not, and you're just using your ears, then uh, an easy maybe way to put it would be, you know that a bass guitar is down there uh, and, and uh, the highest violin might be all the way up there. So when you're using that mixing board to mix, you don't really want to, to, to open up every single frequency because the bass guitar is only going to require specific frequencies, a little bit of something in a particular area, and then uh, a tiny bit of something a little bit higher up, just based on, <laughs> I guess, harmonics. But um, every single instrument, uh, I think will have some kind of guide if that's what you need when you're, when you're speaking about that faith, uh, which will help you um, take out the frequencies you don't need. And if you use certain frequencies of certain instruments, you can really, really muddy up your sound. So it, it, it is like, it's a little bit like being a surgeon mixing. It's a lot of taking out what you don't need. And instead of rushing to add effects and things all over the place, first of all, see how well you can equalize it, how well you can EQ uh, all your different things and how much stuff you can filter out that you do not need. It will make your mix much, much better to start with. For a lot of the mixes I hear in Zambia, sometimes when I'm listening from this end, I can literally hear all the noise that was going on behind people because they weren't even recording in an acoustic environment. Uh, and uh, a lot of the muddiness, it literally just comes from very bad EQ, um, not equalizing things and, you know, making sure every, every instrument has its own little space. Uh, and all that little tailing over and maybe some of the effects being added are uh, not tr dealt with in a way that you can uh, place them. I I'm trying not to get technical with what I'm saying, David, <laughs> rather than bussing things. It, it, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but how you treat every single instrument. Um, one instrument may not require uh, a reverb and a vocalist. Um, some songs, uh, they require it in order to have that floaty feel. <laughs> And other songs don't. But if, if you have the same settings, which is what I hear in some of the songs that get sent to me, you literally hear somebody who's singing a very choppy vocal being dealt with the same way as somebody who's singing a ballad. Um, and then autotune all over everything. So that doesn't help either. So it, it, it's kind of like, uh, it, it really depends on your genre of music and uh, what, what you're going to do to deal with the individual voices and frequencies. Different singers sing very differently. So a lot of attention has to be paid to how someone's actually singing because even things like the delays you put on someone will depend upon how they're phrasing the song. So you can't just go and use all these presets and equipment around you and just dump them on everything because that's what I think I hear a lot of. Um, 
if your music's at a certain tempo, even even your delay signal might um, have to work at that tempo or something related to it in order for it to sound right. Uh, and sometimes if you don't, then you're just being quirky about it, which is also fine. Yeah. So um, I think the point I wanted to make was I recorded a very high frequency and I, I, I mix uh, and then decide uh, when I'm outputting uh, uh, at that point what it is that I'm going to do because it depends who I'm delivering it to. If I'm just going to send you a demo of me messing about, then, you know, you might even be lucky. You might even receive 96K. <laughs> it depends how generous I'm feeling that day. But um, if I'm being honest and serious about it, uh, I tend to deal a lot more with broadcast or film. So 4824 is more than likely where I'm headed with anything I'm doing. Um, I'm not really mixing for the music industry unless I'm re remixing people's things. Um, so uh, for David, who might work a little bit more with uh, music as he's, a, he's an actual uh, performer, he more likely would uh, be able to state what might help you out when you get to the um, mix stage. Uh, I think they wanted a little bit on the actual mix stage itself. Uh, I mean, there, there, there are no <laughs> rules per se, but anything you could kind of give them in that area, David, would be useful. Just mixing, not mastering. Yeah. Um, so there's some of the points you've made, um, I would echo with regard to mixing. Um, leaving space for instruments, very important. So an example is with your bass instruments. So I've already spoken about getting rid of frequencies that you can't hear. We, we both mentioned that. With your bass instruments, say, for example, um, you're, you're, you've got bassy drum. Say you've got kick drum, for example, and you have a bass guitar. Um, they're going to be in the same sort of frequency range. And so you don't want to muddy up your mix with too much low and low frequency. Uh, you want to be able to hear both of those separately. So one tip then might be to slightly um, pan your bass slightly left of center or right of center, just a little bit of space between both instruments so there's more clarity. Um, use, I, I think sometimes, especially when, when I think um, people first get into mixing, what I often hear is that um, the stereo field is not used as well as it could be. So panning instruments left and right to varying degrees helps to create space as well. And um, again, just to echo what Robin was saying with regard to removing certain frequencies. So if you've got um, two, let's say you've got a rhythm guitar, let's say you've got two rhythm guitars and a lead guitar. Um, well, they're going to be in, the, again, the same sort of frequency range, but you can make sure that your lead, for example, has maybe a, a little bit more of the higher frequency content um, than your rhythm guitar because it should stand out more in a mix. Yeah. Um, if you've got a rhythm guitar, you might even double that rhythm guitar and pan one of them left and pan one of them right. So you have a sort of stereo image, but you've got a hot, you've got that space in the middle for your vocals, which should live in the middle, generally speaking, always, and your lead. Just as an example, so it's all about creating space in the mix so that it allows all of your instruments to breathe um, and to be heard without clutter. So that's, that's one of the things that I would, I would mention, space. 
Um, and then you'll have compression, <laughs> gating, compression, side, gating, yeah, yeah, um, dynamic. Um, but if we could um, put that in more, um, I, the sound guys amongst us are fine. But if we yeah. could just put that for those who may not be. Okay, so some of you who may have seen a compressor or seen a compression plugin and not necessarily sure what it does. So in a nutshell, what it's doing is it's reducing the dynamic range. So it's reducing the difference between the loud parts of the track and the quiet parts of the track. And we use compression for different reasons. Um, the main reason is to do that, to reduce that dynamic range. So we want to make sure, say, for example, if it's a contemporary piece of music and you have a vocalist, say, that sings very quietly in some parts and then they're louder in other parts. But let's say it's not... Um, done stylistically it's not done on purpose maybe they just the technique microphone technique might not be that great and you might not have the chance to go in and do a retake um in that instance what you will want to do is add some compression so that the vocals are at an even level all the way through um you then have to be aware of uh what's known as a signal to noise ratio uh, which is where you have a lot of noise in the recording um, or unwanted noise, say for example, breaths, right? Um, if somebody sings quietly, but they take lots of breaths, their breaths are going to sound uh, at the same, the same level as the, the wanted vocal. And that won't sound, um, it's not going to sound very nice if you're, if you're raising the overall volume because uh, you're going to hear some loud breaths <gasps> as well as the vocals. So then we need to, to, to create some separation. Um, if those breaths are slightly quieter than the main vocals, then we can use a gate, the noise gate. What that does is it reduces any sound below a certain threshold by a certain amount of decibels. So that can help to uh, minimize things like breath noise. Or it could be, say, for example, if you put a gate on an instrument, there could be some noise when, uh, I don't know, some clothes rustle, for example, or the sound of fingers sliding up and down um, strings, for example. Maybe you don't want that to be so loud. You can use a noise gate. Well, I'll just make a quick point here. When a noise gate um, reduces sound to below what we can hear, it's a noise gate. However, if we're just reducing the sound a little bit, but we're not getting rid of the sound, we that's known as an expander gate. So we're expanding the dynamic range. We're making sure that what we want to hear sounds loud and pleasing, but what we don't want to hear so much of is just reduced slightly. Sometimes if you reduce sound completely, it can sound unnatural. So I'll use breaths as an example. If you get rid of breaths completely, then it can sound unnatural and a bit robotic. But again, it depends on what your what your what your overall aim is. So that's dynamics and gating. So we've got things like uh, reverb and delay. Um, reverb is great for gelling mixes together. If you add a little bit of reverb um, over a whole mix, obviously it can be used on individual elements as well to create that sense of space. Um, but we need to be careful when using reverb because if you add reverb on too many elements or you have um, a wide reverb tell, you can make your mixes sound too muddy. Often, I prefer to use, especially on vocals, I prefer to use delay rather than reverb. Maybe just a touch of reverb, but 
I, I tend to use delay, which basically has a longer uh, reverb time than reverb. Yeah, so you can you're hearing a discrete second uh, sound. Um, it tends to sound a little bit cleaner um, in a mix. Again, I'd like to demonstrate some of these to you guys. Maybe if we have another session at some point, or um, again, feel free to contact me. Um, and I can demonstrate. I think it's point. probably a good idea to have that demo session. Uh, I think that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Pale, Pale Face is also up for that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think compression is his pet peeve. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he wants to set the record straight. So um, I'm yeah. hoping if we can set up a, a, two, a two-way or maybe three-way, maybe have three um, producers on the session and then that way uh, it can be done from the different facilities do you think that's uh, possible yeah 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 possible yeah that'd be exciting because um i've always got my notepad out ready to learn so, <laughs> that's what he's saying he's gonna teach it he's gonna teach us all <laughs> go on Dave. no no no, no, no. I, like, I, I like to learn yeah keep learning yeah um sorry are there any questions there regarding um, the mix part. Can I take it to mastering now? Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Um, so again, often you'll be using different tools when mastering. Um, with regard to mastering, you are okay. So the main reasons, and and and. and you might have some differences of opinion here, but the two main reasons for mastering, number one, um, is to have your track sound as loud as possible without distorting, without clipping, without going into the red. Um, so you're getting the full energy of the track. And or if you have a body of work, you're mastering to make sure that all of the tracks are at the same or similar level. Um, because nothing is more annoying than listening to a body of work and having to turn the volume down when one track plays and then the next track comes in, oh, now you have to turn it up. Um, so, that's, in a nutshell, that's what mastering is used for. Um, and yet, sometimes we'll be using different tools. So, the main thing we're looking at when mastering, again, is EQ, compression. Um, we're not dealing with individual elements of the track now. We're dealing with the track as a whole. I say that actually, but sometimes you, some mastering engineers will work with individual stems as well. But generally speaking, your stems meaning the different the, the different tracks yeah, that you've recorded, different elements. But generally speaking, we're dealing with the uh, mixed full mixed version of the track. A tip here: uh, if you are taking your mixed track to be mastered when you're mixing try not to mix at zero db try not to mix at the your, your final output shouldn't be at the maximum amplitude generally speaking you want to um uh, export your track at at least say minus three decibels because then you're giving some headroom you're giving some space for the mastering engineer to then raise the overall volume and treat the individual uh elements in terms of different frequency um, bands um, accordingly. If you bounce out or export at zero dB, there's not much room for maneuver to, 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 to raise 
and things to eat. So with your mastering, you're also using um, adaptive limiting. So we have limiters, which are like brick wall limiters, meaning that your sound cannot go above a certain threshold that you set. But an adaptive limiter does something, it, it raises, you're able to raise the perceived volume of the track because you're able to raise certain frequencies um, while keeping others at a nominal rate. So tools I've mentioned, you're, you're, we're looking at adaptive limiting, we're looking at some form of compression. Often it will be what is multi-band compression. So you find some multi-band compressors, which means you can compress different frequency ranges rather than just compressing the whole track. Um, EQ. Those are your main sorts of tools that you'll be using. A mastering engineer is different from a mix engineer. They're looking for different things. They're looking at, at different things as well. And it's a whole... Um, uh, it's a whole course in itself. Um... I've mentioned before that often the mix engineer will not do the mastering, but then sometimes if you're a, a solo um, uh, uh, engineer and you don't have the resources to find a separate mastering engineer, then you're going to have to do both. A tip is to step away before you start doing your mastering. Step away from the mix and give, give yourself your ears some time to rest. Um, and if it's going to be part of a body of work, get the body of work complete first before you start mastering. And then you're going to master to make sure that everything um, is the same so just some quick quick tips and, and a little bit of a, a quick introduction to, to what mastering is for and some of the tools you'll be using there's lots more but that's just some stuff I was going to say um, radio radio um, yeah radio um, with the amount of compression that's being used by the radio stations themselves mm. <laughs> I'll give you an example. For Vatican Radio, I have to give them a minus 6 dB. Right, That's there how, you go. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's got to be yeah. right down at minus 6. So quite a few of these um, uh, larger sort of like stations we're doing uh, massively with um, uh, the, the, the engineers are very heavy on the compression in, yeah. in, in order to get it out uh, that distance. We'll, we'll require minus 6. Minus 3 is, yeah. is, is, is too loud for them. Yeah, um, there you go. Just wanted to add that, but yeah, okay. Sorry, okay. Uh, Edwin, uh, you got your hand up? Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So I was, I was changing my headset. So um, uh, my question to Dev was, um, or is, what do you find, uh, or maybe could you comment on? Uh, using hardware for mapping or any of the processes uh, to uh, using uh, uh, software in the box uh, in comparison to your output sound, uh, essentially, I mean, or, or holistically. Uh, what, what, what is your take? Um, so, yeah, good question. So, I work mainly in the box, as it were, or plug-in. Um, but I will use outboard gear if there's a particular sound that I'm going for, for example. Um, like there are some Neve compressors that I like that sound warm um, by nature. And it's often to do with the mechanics of the outboard gear 
um, that add a sense of warmth. You know, analog gear always has a sense of warmth um, to it as well. So, um, what's my take? It's, it's horses for courses. Whatever um, you can, whatever you can utilize to, to get the best sound possible, use it. If you're an expert in plugins and you don't use outboard gear, that's fine. It's fun to experiment and try different things. Um, and also we're limited by our resources, right? What do we actually have? And uh, so I'm not pro or against one or the other. Um, they all have their uses. There are a lot of digital plugins now which emulate, well, most of them emulate, um, a lot of them emulate uh, outboard gear. Sometimes it's just the feeling of act actually putting your hands on a fader and twisting knobs and actually having that, you know, the, the, the ergonomics of it, the, the, the feeling of actually dialing uh, a signal in as opposed to using a mouse. But then you can get around that sometimes by using controllers. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Okay. Okay, what, what was the last thing you heard? So you were just uh, uh, on the, the you uh, of course you explained to say you you for you you work in the box. Uh, just when about to start explaining how you were doing it and your comparison, my um, I, I lost everything there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, I was saying I work mostly mainly in the box, but I will use our gear. Um, I was basically saying I'm not pro or against one or the other. There's always a sort of uh, the sound you get from the um, mechanics of the outboard gear. That's what introduces character sometimes. Um, but there's a lot of plugins that actually em emulate that character. Um, and I'm an advocate of using whatever tools you have at your disposal to get the best sound you can. So I'm not pro or against in the box or outboard gear. It's fun to experiment. I think generally, that's my take on it. What do you, what do you like to use, Edwin? Oh, I think he popped out again, sorry. He must have a problem with his- uh, uh, Connections. His connections. Um, what I'll do is I'll make sure that I, when, I, when I edit this recording, I'll uh, make sure he gets a copy of the uh, answers he wanted. Yeah. Is he back? I think he's back. Nope. Yeah. No. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. Disappeared again. Welcome back, Sound Ninja. <laughs> right. Sound Ninja, do you have any questions you want to ask? Because you're um, uh, studying mixing and mastering. So, anything you want to ask, oh, David? Cool. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Yep. Loud and clear. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, uh, the questions that I've had, uh, most of the guys, uh, most of the people here in Zambia, they've asked uh, those questions. And I've been listening to the answers and uh, uh, I'll say that I've learned a lot in, in quite just a moment. Also, uh, I, I, I would like to to ask one question, which is, uh, as 
because as a, as a master engineer or as a mixing engineer, you have a different perspective of uh, how you want sound to uh, to play, uh, which is a uh, more of a different from uh, a listener, a listener's perspective. So I would I would love to know or to have an understanding of. Uh, what are some of the things that you look at in terms of uh, balancing of uh, sound output? That's a really good question. Um, so when I'm mixing, so again, I tend to, um, I, I try to, in a way, zone out. So when I'm mixing, I'm listening critically and I'll try and step away from the mix. And often what I'll do is I'll play the track in amongst other tracks that maybe I've mixed, that other people have mixed, that are just out there just to hear how it sits um, and just listen as a fan. I know that if I'm picking out something um, that doesn't quite sound right, then I know I have to go back to the drawing board and, and look at it again. Um, what I'm looking for is, does it fit with other commercially released successful music does it sit well um if it was in a playlist um because yeah it, it's hard not to listen critically once you've reached that certain point um you you're able to just listen to your 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 mixes in and among other mixes and you can say to yourself yep that, that's fine i also get opinions from other people you know to hear how we we, we we work, you know, together. Other people's opinions count. Um, again, people that you trust, share the music. You know, share share what you've done. Sometimes we can be a little bit precious and we don't want to release or share anything until it's complete or, or until we're happy that it's complete. But find a set of people around you that you can trust to let them listen and see what they think. Um, you know, I, I always sort of, whilst learning, I was playing tracks to, to my teachers to see what they think and they can provide me constructive criticism. Um, but then it does get to a point where it is completely subjective. Uh, and I guess you need to then understand um, when somebody is giving uh, feedback based on subjectivity or whether it is objectively uh, needing some sort of adjustment, i.e. that the bass here sounds too loud or there's peaking here or there's distortion in this particular instrument or I can't hear this particular instrument very well. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think you're asking how I approach the different sorts of um, uh, tasks. When listening as a fan, I'm zoning out, basically. I'm just trying to see how the mix is sitting with other tracks that are out there. I hope that answers the question. Does that work for you? Um, David, I was going to also ask about uh, utilizing mm -hmm. different monitors uh, and listening with different speakers going across the board. So important. Maybe, maybe that bit might help. Yeah, so important, so important. So I'll, I'll come back to the point I made earlier on about making sure that your your environment that you're mixing in is treated. What we're trying to get is something known as a flat frequency response. So that's basically where you can hear all frequencies and equal level um, because no matter where you record there's always going to be some um, 
certain frequencies in that space that will be enhanced simply by the shape of the room or by materials, the things that are in the room, the size of the room. Um, so this is why we do things like adding dark treatment, bass traps, uh, diffusers to spread frequencies around the room. We try to listen in an environment that gives us a true representation of the sound because when we start listening in other environments, then we may might find that we may have overcompensated um, whilst equalizing. Say, for example, we're in a room that resonates at low frequencies. Let's say in this particular room, we hear bass frequencies uh, loud, as, as louder than in other rooms. We might overcompensate and then reduce a lot of those bass frequencies whilst we're mixing in that room. When we take our final mix to a different environment, it's lacking. Right? So that's why we need to have a flat frequency response and why it's important then also to listen in different monitors so you can hear what your mix will sound like if you're using in-ear headphones, um, if you're using, if you're playing from a car stereo, if you're play, playing from studio monitors, or if you're playing out of a television or a laptop, it's so important to listen to your music in different, um, through different monitors so you can compare again to other mixes this is this is another tip there's a bit of a, a plugin um called magic ab i think it's free and i would recommend that because it will help you to listen and compare your mixes to other commercially mixed tracks that are out there um if you don't use the plugin i mean you can always just bring the track into your your digital audio station and listen backwards and forwards but use it as a template Sorry. if there's a Sorry, if sound yes Sorry. Sorry. So I'll send him on the plugin again. Magic A B. Magic A B. Okay. Yeah. And you can use mixes already out there as a reference level for, for loudness. Um and it, it just helps you to compare with what's with what's already out there. And then you're aiming to try and emulate those those sounds, the the, the overall um sound of the mix. Uh, I have a question with regard to the studio monitor. Let's say the what I may call budget studio monitor. For example, maybe uh, the the Kera, Kera K monitors or yeah. the Yamaha uh, SH monitors. So, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, like monitors, what would you recommend? At least uh, monitors that will give you an accurate sound. Um, and again, it depends on it depends on budget. KRK is and Yamaha HS is five. You think about HS eight? Any the HS series, they're 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 they're, they're excellent. So it depends on your environment as well. Are we doing near field monitoring, or are we in a large studio? Anything by Genelec. I use Adams 7Xs, um, uh, PMCs. I mean, it's, it's, that, that's quite a hard question because it depends on your environment. But if it's like a home environment, KRKs, Rocket, they've been, they're longstanding. They're, they're, they're good. But what it is, is uh, you have to be aware of, you have to get to the point where you understand uh, your, your monitor. So... Once you're used to mixing in a particular set of monitors, um, you will then get used to how it translates in different monitors as well. 
um, you begin to understand the characteristics of that particular matter. But the, the, the two you mentioned, KRK and HS, they're, they're, they're good mates. I would, I would say KRK simply because I've, I've worked with KRK a lot, you know, more so than Yamaha's. But they were, they were excellent. Um, but for other, other makes, I would say if you, anything by Genelec, PMCs, Adam 7s, if you can get those, those are good, good reference monitors as well. There is, I will say, a plugin that you might be interested in called, this one's a paid plugin. Um, there may be free versions as well. It's by Sonar Works called, uh, I think we're on Reference 6 now. Sonar Works Reference 6. And what that does. I think I, I, think I have that in spot. So I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Yes. There's a free version, though I haven't yet utilized the plugin, but what that yeah. the information the only information I had was that uh, it helps you uh, perceive sound as as though you are in more of a treated sound environment. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it uses very uh, powerful calculations and algorithms to try and um, to, to treat the audio that runs through the plugin. So it gives you sort of like a flat frequency response. What it does is it, it, it's modeled on um, a set of speed. So what you would do is you would put the make of your monitor speakers into the plugin, and then it will um, analyze uh, the signals that you're playing through the plugin um, as if it was playing through those reference monitors. Uh, it, it compensates for any um, variation in the frequency response between speakers, and it works for headphones as well. The headphone version as well. So if you're using uh, headphones most of the popular makes are in their um, list so you choose your make and model and it will apply the algorithm and there are different algorithms you can choose as well um, so yeah that's, that's an excellent plugin it's a really good, really good plugin if you can make use of that is Robin Piri from soundcompose.com.